And we're going to be picking it up at verse 18 today, and hopefully we'll finish the, the chapter today. So Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse uh, 18. And as you turn there, I will go to the Lord in a, in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and, uh, and I, I just thank you, Lord. And the elders at TBF and all the leaders at TBF thank you that there still are people in Kitsap County, throughout Washington State, throughout America, and throughout the world, there still are people who are hungry for your truth, for your word. And they're fed up with the lies of man. So I pray, Lord, the last thing we want is that they would come here and hear the faulty, deceptive wisdom of man, a philosophy contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that you would take this fallible preacher, and that you would cancel out the man, and that you would anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. And give us all, Lord, the, the courage to test what we hear from this pulpit and to test what we hear and see throughout the week and throughout our lives, to test it all with your word. For you're a God who is there. You're a God who exists, and you're a God who has spoken. And so may we test all things with your word, and if it fails that test, that we would reject it. I pray, Lord, that uh, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be pleasing in your sight. And uh, we long for the day when your son takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. Until that day, things will get worse and worse and worse. And so may we be agents of change, trying to um, encourage people and bring people in the church and outside the church to repentance to turn from their sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus for salvation and for guidance and, and the power for daily living. And we just love you and we pray that you help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now remember the, Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul is really impressed with the Colossian believers themselves. He says, man, you guys got faith, hope, and love. You know, I, I hope that if Paul were alive today and walking the earth, he'd look at us and say, man, you guys got Trinity Bible Fellowship, you got faith, hope, and love. But Trinity Bible Fellowship, just like the church in Coloss, they needed to be warned because there were false teachers around them, sometimes even in their midst. And these false teachers were saying that Jesus, they demoted Jesus to being one of the many in-betweens, go-betweens, intermediaries between God and man. And so Paul had to tell them, no, since Jesus is God and creator, even though he's become part of his creation by becoming one of us, Jesus is the firstborn ruler over all creation. Okay? And um, that when he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead... He defeated the principalities and powers. Okay? He opened them up to public dishonor. Paraded them uh, after defeating them. And so Jesus is not a local deity. 
Now, I'm not going to lie to you and say, hey, 10 years from now, you'll be able to tell people, look at my nice house. I don't know that that's going to be the case. 10 years from now, you might not be able to say, look at my great career. Look at my savings. Look at this and all that. And those are not bad things. But I can't tell you that that's still going to be around. But what I can tell you is no matter how bad things get, you can with complete honesty look your persecutors in the eyes and say, my God's bigger than your God. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob become a man. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is God, creator, sustainer, keeps us in existence. He's our redeemer, our savior, and he rules over creation. It doesn't get any better than Jesus. We're complete in Jesus. If you think, you know, I need Jesus plus something else, you know, look, look, even when you read books that are outside of the Bible, those books are really only helpful if they enhance your walk with the Lord. In other words, if they point you back to Jesus. Sometimes I have to read heretical books written by some of the false teachers that are leading mankind astray and that are trying to get people uh, away from Christianity. Uh, but even reading that to be able to do my job as pastor and refute those who contradict, it brings me closer to Jesus. Okay? But it's not like we need Jesus plus something more to get saved, or Jesus plus something more uh, to grow in the Lord. Uh, we can take on the mind of Christ when we allow God to renew our minds Amen. through studying God's word and the prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we can learn the mind of Christ. I'm going to, I learned about the mind of Christ so I could put on the mind of Christ and replace the mind of Phil Fernandez. I learn about the mind of Christ when I study the word and I pray. Okay? I don't learn about the mind of Christ based upon my gut feelings. Okay? Um, in fact, the mind of Phil Fernandez and the mind of Christ are so distinct that when I get a thought and I think, like, where did that come from? It doesn't take me long to know which side it's coming from. You know? And, uh, you know, when some guy's getting on my nerves and I'm thinking, man, I would have slapped that guy. And it's like, okay, that's coming from the other side. Okay? And... Um, and uh, but when I hear a little voice in my head, and the voice always sounds like my voice, it's got that same angelic <laughs> tempo and all. But but I hear a little voice in my head and say, "Man, you need to you need to pray for that guy. He's got issues." <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, that's coming from the Lord because that wouldn't come. That wouldn't be a thought that I would generate. Okay, but we test all things with the Word of God because. We're complete in Christ. Jesus is our wisdom. We don't need the world's false wisdom. We should be content with Christ. So we're complete in Christ. Be satisfied with Jesus. Uh, we don't have a need for physical circumcision. We're circumcised inwardly of the heart when we're born again. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, that gives us the new spiritual rebirth. So we, don't, we Gentiles don't need to get physically circumcised for spiritual reasons. And uh, God made us alive in Christ when we trusted in Jesus for salvation. God forgave our sins. 
and canceled our debt to the law, nailed it to the cross, and uh, through his cross and resurrection, Jesus has triumphed over the demonic powers. He made a public spectacle uh, of them and paraded these prisoners of war. Jesus conquered all. He is the firstborn ruler over all creation. And then in verse 16 and 17, Paul says, So don't let anybody judge you based on the Old Testament ceremonial law. We don't have to go back to an Old Testament diet. Okay? We don't have to celebrate the Old Testament feast days. Uh, Jesus fulfilled that. We don't have to worry about the Sabbath day, setting apart the Sabbath day, though it's a really good idea to take a day off each week. Now, we Americans, we think we're entitled to a 40-hour work week, two days off. There's nowhere does the Bible say that. So a lot of people are like having financial difficulties, and sometimes all you have to do is work one extra day a week. I know from my dad, he used to work in Overbrook, an insane asylum. He used to work there as an electrician. That's where the Essex County electricians worked. But on the weekends, he'd go to Soho Hospital and work on Saturdays because that's what it took to take care of his family. The guy grew, guy was born one of 13 kids, the Portuguese immigrants, grew up during the Depression. His first language was Portuguese and a World War II veteran, as were most of his brothers. The other one was a Korean War vet. So, uh, I mean, it was like, hey, I got to do what I got to do. Take care of my family. If I work an extra day, I'll work an extra day. But Jesus is our Sabbath rest. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you are resting from trying to work your way to earn heaven. And so Jesus is your Sabbath rest. And we find that in the, the book of Hebrews talks about that. So don't let anybody judge you by... Uh, your diet. Now, and, and again, we talked about it last week. If your eating habits are killing you, then a good friend should come alongside and say, hey, for physical, your physical well-being, uh, you need to stop investing in Dunkin' Donuts, okay? Um, but that's not going to make you, like, spiritually... Uh, it's not like, well, I cut bacon out of my diet, so now I'm holier than I was before. Um, only, the, only the pigs would agree with that. Um, but, uh, and so don't let others judge you based on the Old Testament ceremonial law. These were mere shadows. Jesus is the reality. In fact, you could sum up the entire Bible in one word, Jesus. The Old Testament pointed forward Man's fallen, God created us perfect, we fell, and the way to be saved, he's going to send the suffering Savior. The Gospels in the New Testament say, he has come, this is what he was like, this is what he did and how he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And then in the, uh, the book of Acts, this is the history of the early church, and the letters, how we as Christians should live, and then the book of Revelation, what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back to reign upon the earth. The whole Bible can be summarized in one word, Jesus. It can be summarized in one event, Calvary. All the Old Testament sacrifices, the bloodshed of animals, did not take away sins, but pointed forward to the day when the ultimately worthy Lamb of God would come and would die on the cross for our sins. And then he would rise from the dead to conquer man's greatest enemy, death, to conquer death for us. 
So you can sum up the whole Bible. One word, Calvary. One event, Calvary. One word, Jesus. And, um, and so the Old Testament ceremonial laws. I mean, it's still the moral laws of the Old Testament. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Those still apply. But the ceremonial aspects of the Old Testament law, uh, they were fulfilled. They are just a shadow of that which was to come. The reality is Jesus. He is the real thing. So we've got to remind our, ourselves, don't get caught up in the shadows. We can go back and study those in depth. Pastor Pat loves to study the Old Testament and uh, the Jewish culture and the Old Testament teachings and the Hebrew language, and those are real good. But Pastor Pat will tell you, but this is what points forward to Jesus. Okay? And, um, and so the law is a substitute teacher. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.24, the law is a tutor or a substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. And we trust in Jesus, and we no longer look to the law to try to please God. Okay? Now Paul moves on from there in verses 18 and 19. He tells us, do not be disqualified from grace. God saves us by his grace. It's his unmerited favor. Verses 18 and 19, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, from whom all the body, the church, the body of Christ, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. And, and so we're told that uh, don't let anybody cheat you through that anti-Christian philosophy, through false teachings, through the false wisdom of man. Don't let anybody cheat you of your reward. Jesus won your reward for you on the cross of Calvary. Don't neglect. You know, there's no escape if we neglect so great a salvation, the author of Hebrews says. Don't let anybody cheat you of your reward. Don't be disqualified from the grace that God freely offers to us. Paul tells us, don't be deceived by those with false humility. False humility. You know, a guy acts like he's real humble. Look, I'm so hum humble because uh, I beat my body and don't eat meat. That's a, from studying the book of Colossians, it seems to be that's the false humility that he's talking about. Oh, I'm such a humble man. I walk around in sackcloth and ashes. I don't eat meat. I'm like a Buddhist monk. I don't eat meat. I beat my body. Look at me. I'm so holy. Paul says, no, that's a bunch of baloney. That's false humility. Okay? Don't let it. Don't be impressed uh, by the Dalai Lamas of this world. Okay? Don't be impressed. You will have Christian brothers and sisters at least professing Christian brothers and sisters, that'll get all off on some kind of tangent, whether it's uh, Old Testament ceremonial law or whatever, and they'll act like they're holy because of, uh, you know, a certain thing. I mean, it could be anything. A person could, could pride themselves. I've got the biggest cross around my, on my necklace, and 
bigger cross than you or whatever. I got a bigger Bible or my Bible's more highlighted than yours. Hey, highlighting a Bible is good. Wearing a cross to show people, look, I am a Christian. The cross means salvation for me. I trust in Jesus for salvation. But if you're going to act like, okay, that makes you more humble than other people, um, then you're just going to be deceiving others and deceiving yourselves. Don't be deceived by those with false humility. Don't fall prey to the worship of angels. This was idolatry and paganism. Worship of angels. And we think, wow, we, that was the old days. We'll never fall prey to that. Well, I'm telling you, the Space Brothers, the UFO movement, the um, alien abduction cases and all that garbage that's going on, we're seeing a return of the ancient pagan gods. And, you know, you might say, well, look, you got to understand this modern scientific age, you know, no American um, would be foolish enough to bow down before statues of four-legged creatures. That was the way in the past, pre-scientific times. We're beyond that. We're smarter than that. Oh, really, are we? At least the ancients knew there were only two genders. Okay? The ancients, ancients didn't judge entire groups of people just by the color of their skin. This is not, this is, we do not live in the intellectual age. We live in the information age. And there's so much information that we get information overload. And guess what? When the information is true, you get canceled. And so most of this information is bogus fake news. Do not, the information age does not equal the intellectual age. Okay? And so if you think, well, this was in the past, worship of angels... I'm telling you, behind so many, I, I think, uh, behind so many false religions, there are high-ranking fallen angels. I think Islam, I think Allah really exists, but Allah is not God. Only the triune God of the Bible is God. But I think Allah is a high-ranking, fallen, bloodthirsty angel. Okay? And he desires bloodshed to be worshipped. And... Um, uh, Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what the pagans offer to the idols, they actually are offering to demons, unclean spirits. And, uh, and so this idolatry and paganism, and now with the space brothers and the ancient aliens and all that garbage, the worship of angels is making a comeback. Okay? We worship the triune God alone. Don't let anybody ever push you to one side or another, push you away, keep you off track. You follow the Lord Jesus. You be content with Jesus. Then Paul talks about here in this passage that some of these people had personal unverified visions. They're self-proclaimed prophets. They claim to see things they never saw. Okay? Now, I, I think God can still speak to us, but what... He, what he intends for us to know as the entire church throughout the entire history of the church, that's all in the Bible. Okay? And so if you tell me, yeah, I had this dream, and, and then blah, 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 you tell me what the dream's about, or I had this vision, I'm going to test it with the Scriptures. And if it contradicts the Scriptures, I'm going to, you know, 
Hope I don't hurt your feelings, but I'm going to reject it. Uh, if it's consistent with the scriptures, it could be true. You know, um, but a lot of times it's just a vague thing. You know, I think God put on my heart something and this and that. Well, we got to test those things with the word of God. Sometimes we have to suspend judgment on them. But these guys were building up a whole false religion based on their own personal unverified visions. There, were, there was actually a guy when I first got saved. One of the guys who led me to Christ told me that God told him uh, that he was to be my spiritual father and I was to submit to his ministry. Okay, and I was a new believer in the Marine Corps. I didn't know what was up, what was down. I did notice he was interpreting scriptures uh, it's like the Princess Bride movie where the Montoya guy says, I, I, do not, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Uh, this guy would interpret Bible passage. And I was like, I don't think it means that. That's not what it's saying. If words have meanings, it doesn't mean what you think it means. And so I told the guy when he told me that God told him he was going to be my spiritual father and I was going to be his spiritual son and I needed to submit to him. I told him, I said, okay, I'll pray about it. But God never gave me that memo. And until I get that memo, you minister on one part of Bremerton, I'll minister on another part. And I uh, never did submit to his ministry, and for good reasons and all. And, um, um, but, whatever the, but he was the kind of guy to get these unverified visions. Okay? And, uh, and you know, you know I, I think God speaks to me and speaks to you and all, but it's, it's not one of these... Uh, you know, if it's this, thus saith the Lord, Isaiah or Jeremiah type thing, you better test that with God's word. And if it doesn't come true, it's not from God. But don't follow some guy or some gal just because they claim that they're getting these. Well, God told me this. Well, God told me that. Okay? I'm going to the, I'm gonna go to the word of God. And, um, um, you know, I got saved in the Catholic charismatic movement. It was a a back-to-the-Bible movement, but it was very Pentecostal, you know, speaking in tongues and prophecies and all. But I started to see that the guy, all the guys that were having the prophecies and the visions, I thought, gee, why won't God give me one of these? They always seemed to be the guys that weren't studying the Bible. And it's kind of like, why should God speak to you in a special way when you don't even read his 66 love letters that he wrote to you. Okay? And they're all vague prophecy. You know, God showed me an empty football stadium. And God told me that we've got to fill that football stadium. We've got to lead people to Christ and fill... And I'm like, you know, and then the next week it would be something else. I don't know, a soccer stadium or something. I'm just like, after a while, it's just like, man, I need to stay away from people like that. And... um, um. I love hearing, thus saith the Lord, okay? But when you tell me, thus saith the Lord, please quote scripture, okay? And if you think God's telling you something, then tell me. Just just, just walk and say, I, uh, Pastor, I've been praying about something. I think God's telling me to give you this advice. You do that in a very humble way. I'm, I'm okay with that, and then I'll test it. I'll pray about it, and I'll you know, test it if the advice seems biblical, okay? Uh, but watch out for people with their unverified 
visions. What did Benny Hinn said once? He said that he had a, a vision and he went into this whole thing and God showed him this, God showed him that. And then talking about the Trinity, he said, so we see that there's nine of them. No, there's not nine members of the Trinity. There's three. That's why we call it a Trinity. Okay? And um, um, we've had people in the name of Christianity have visions that we are the we are the uh, uh, basically gods with a small g, and we create our own reality. Okay, and um, um, that's not biblical. And uh, but these false teachers, their problem was, Paul says here, they lost their connection uh, to the head, to Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. That's why I didn't like when the government shut down the churches. I mean, the government could say, we suggest you shut down, and then the pastors can look at the evidence and make their call. But when the government says, no, no, we're going to just shut you down, and we're even going to declare it to be a non-essential business. So operating on people's souls is not as important as Walmart selling you processed food. And um, um, no, Christ is the head of the church. Not some guy in a White House or people in Congress or whatever, Supreme Court. No, God is God. Jesus is the head of the church. Well, these false teachers severed themselves from the head of the church. We've got to understand, look, we are, on, we are saved only by Jesus, and we will grow spiritually only through Jesus. We've got to be connected to the vine. Watch out for those who call themselves Christians, but they're not even connected to the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Okay? We're complete in Christ. Beware of these people uh, who try to lead you astray. Then in verses 20 to 23 in Colossians 2, Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So let's, let's unpack that. So Paul's saying, look, if you're saved, if you're trusted in Jesus for salvation, when he died, you died. The old you is dead. And when you died with Christ, you died to the basic principles of the world. Okay? Uh, the basic principles of the world, we talked about that earlier in uh, Colossians 2.8. Uh, the basic principles of the world could deal with the physical creation. That's what evolutionists do. They just try to deal with the physical creation, and they act like nothing else exists. So just the ancients would say... Earth, wind, or air, and fire, and water. That's all that exists. In modern times, they, they, there might be some scientists who think that man is mere molecules in motion. 
Okay, the basic principles of the world. So if you walked into church today and uh, you saw me kicking a mound of dirt, you might think, okay, well, that's a little bit weird. Maybe we need to uh, relieve Pastor Phil a little bit of his duties, give him a little bit of break. Maybe he needs more sleep. He doesn't smell like he's drunk, but he's kicking a mound of dirt. It's not like, not like a major thing. It's just like, okay, he's weird. But if you were walking into church and you saw me kicking a human being, that's different. You say, I either got to tackle Pastor Phil, or if you're unfortunate enough to be weaker than me, I need to call 911. Um, but if man is mere molecules in motion, there's no difference. Because a mound of dirt, mere molecules in motion. Man is mere molecules in motion. What's the difference? You know what makes the difference? God makes the difference. God created human beings in his image. And though fallen, we're redeemable. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And uh, rose Jesus from the dead, raised him from the dead to conquer death for us. There is a difference. That's why the world is trying to figure out how can we treat humans with dignity if we no longer believe in God? The movers and shakers, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche, the German atheist, said, God is dead. If God is dead, if the Western civilization, if our leaders no longer believe in the Christian God, then everything changes. If God is dead, truth is dead. We've got to invent our own new truth. So don't be surprised when we say, when we can't define what a woman is. Okay? Because we've thrown out the old truth. We haven't come up with all the complete new definitions now. They've got to check all the boxes of political correctness so when they redefine what a woman is, it doesn't violate any of their boxes. Okay? Don't be surprised when... Uh, Liberals fought so hard for equal rights for females, and now a guy can identify as a female and win gold medals and shatter women's records. And little girls who work so hard to try to become athletes and all don't even stand a chance anymore winning national titles because uh, some guy's going to come in and take it. Don't be surprised about it. If God is dead, then truth is dead. We've got to invent our own new truth. Morality is dead. Evil becomes good. Good becomes evil. Meaning goes out the window. Okay? And with all that, inevitably comes the death of man. You know, it's not a coincidence we took prayer out of the public schools in 1963. Ten years later, Roe versus Wade happened where you could abort babies right up till the ninth month. And um, took uh, almost 50 years to overturn that. And, uh, um, but it shouldn't, uh, it shouldn't shock us. And so this idea, basic principles of the world, could it be like, you know, Carl Sagan used to say, the cosmos, the universe is all there is and all there ever will be. Okay. So some, for some people, that's what the basic principles of the world are. Others, they would go further on to the stars and worship the stars. 
believe the stars control their destiny. Uh, others believe the stars were gods. Uh, sometimes the basic principles of the world could be man-made rules and man-made regulations, or it could be secret knowledge, the gnosis, the hidden knowledge based on the wisdom of man. Jesus said, you know, take all that stuff and throw it in the garbage can. If you trusted, Paul says, if you trusted in Jesus for salvation, you died with Christ and you died to the basic principles of the world. See, basically, you have true biblical Christianity and then you have the basic principles of the world. And we've come out of the world. We're no longer conformed outwardly to the pattern of the world because we want to be inwardly transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ through the renewing of our minds. And so Paul said, look, if you've died, if the old Phil Fernandez is dead, if the old you is dead, and you died with Christ to the basic principles of the world, why do you still live like you belong to the world? Okay? Why do you still live like you belong to the world? with all these rules and regulations and technicalities? What do you wake up in the morning saying, oh, look, here's a list of rules and regulations and man-made traditions for me to follow? I hope you're not waking up like that. I hope you wake up in the morning. If you're like me, you wake up, I wish I could say, hope you wake up in the morning, you feel great. Let me tell you, I, feel, I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm... This old dog's been on the block a long time. I wake up in the morning, I feel horrible and all. But I still got the joy of the Lord, and I say, hey, I'm waking up to serve my king. To walk with Jesus, empowered by him, to go where he wants me to go. To do what he wants me to do. To say what he wants me to say. You know, we used to do it with the... Uh, what would Jesus do? And what would Jesus do, movement? That's pretty good, because it's, it's pretty right about 85% of the time. What would Jesus do in a situation? You find out, you read the Gospels, you see what Jesus would do, and so you say, okay, well, then I need to do, do the same. But it doesn't apply 100%, okay? Guess why? Because he's God and you're not. Some guy bows before you to worship you. You don't say, gee, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would accept worship because of who he is, you need to reject the worship because, you know, you might, let's say you're a young guy and you're going off to college and you find this godly young lady, you're attracted to her, she's attracted to you, you've been dating for two months and you, or for two years, you're thinking about marrying the young lady, and you think, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus wouldn't get married. He came to earth to save mankind from their sins. He didn't have time to get married and have a wife and kids and a nice house and a white picket fence. So if his kids get the flu, he's got to say, look, I could either cancel the Sermon on the Mount or have Peter take my place. But if Peter preached the Sermon on the Mount, at that point in Peter's life, there wouldn't be any turn the other cheek. Okay? This is the guy who took a sword and tried to take off the head of the high priest's servant. The guy moved a little, so he got the guy's ear. And... Um, um, so what would Jesus do only applies about 85% of the time. Really what the Bible says is you live for Jesus. He died for us so that we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 
Matthew 6, 33, that we should do, we should put God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and then God will take care of our needs. So you put in God's kingdom first, you live in for Jesus, and then you do all things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, you do all things for God's glory, not your glory. You don't want the spotlight on yourself. You want the, the spotlight on Jesus. You know, we'd be, we'd be a lot more open to criticism if we did things for the glory of God. Because God can still get the glory um, if you're not that great. Okay? But a lot of times, even pastors, well, pastor, I think you blew it in today's sermon because, uh, you know, we get so defensive and stuff like that over things like that. Um, Hey, if we're preaching for God's glory, sit down with the brother or sister and find out. Maybe I did miss that passage. But... um, you know, it is good to have a good reputation and have a good name if you're proclaiming Jesus. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to think you're just a hypocrite. But in the end, I'm not about my reputation. Okay? I'm about Jesus' reputation. And he's got an infinitely good one. You know, what is it? Uh, Jim and Tammy Baker, I say, preach against their health and wealth heresies that God wants us healthy, wealthy, and rich. And But when they fell, a guy who was in, in, uh, fell into horrible sin, a guy in law enforcement where I was working thought he was going to destroy my faith by them. I said, dude, I've been, I've been preaching against them and what they were saying for decades. Well, not for decades. I wouldn't say that long, but for years at least back then. And... Um, and I said, now, if you want to destroy my faith, my faith is not in Jim and Tammy Baker. You want to destroy my faith, you got to destroy Jesus' reputation. And then I pat him on the back. I said, good luck, bro. Good luck. People have been trying to destroy his uh, reputation for 2,000 years. And yet, whenever they ask people, who's the greatest guy who ever lived, you know, 80, 90% of people on the planet would say, oh, probably Jesus. Then they throw in somebody bogus <clears throat> like Buddha or something. Second, but Jesus would always... You know, even World Book Encyclopedia 1985 edition said of Jesus of Nazareth, he was probably the greatest man who ever lived. That's coming from non-believers. And, um, but, um, and so why do we still live um, like we belong to the world with the rules and regulations and technicalities. Um, rules have the appearance of wisdom, okay? But Jesus set us free from the rules. It's, it's, it's not about rules. Now, so Christianity, this isn't in your notes, so if you want to write it down, go ahead. But Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. If you think Christianity is a list of rules and regulations, you don't know Jesus. Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It is a personal love, trust, that's just another word for faith, a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. Okay? Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It is a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so when I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about rules and regulations. Okay? I'm thinking about how much I love Jesus 
do some devotional study of God's word, some prayer, maybe even sing a little praise uh, to the Lord, and then start your day. Get filled with the Spirit so it becomes natural to walk in the supernatural. And then tell everybody, God bless you. With COVID, I say, God bless you and be safe. There a lot of people who didn't really respond when I would say, God bless you. Once I say, God bless you and be safe, man. You know, the guy at the drive through a McDonald's something, it's like, yeah, and you too, because he's thinking that's real nice. Now, they're all thinking, I'm saying, be safe from COVID. I'm really saying, be safe from the government, man. It's <laughs> They're using this COVID thing to come to get out and get you. And, uh, but, um, uh, but you want to walk in the spirit, okay? You want to walk with Jesus. You want to take on the mind of Christ. You want, you want it to be like Paul says, it is Christ who lives me, in me. It's not me who lives, it's Christ who lives in me and through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and so you don't wake up in the morning. What rules and regulations and technicalities do I have to worry about? The rules have the appearance of wisdom, but in reality, it's no. Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It's a personal love, trust, relationship with the Lord Jesus. If you love God with everything you got, you love your neighbor as yourself, and you're trusting in the Lord Jesus and his word for guidance and power for daily living, then the Holy Spirit will work through you, and it will become natural to walk in the supernatural. Now, these guys here, Paul talks about uh, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Um, that's asceticism. Asceticism it's when you either neglect your body from its physical needs to try to spiritually grow in the Lord, or you don't just neglect it, but you harm or beat your body. You harsh treatment of the body to get closer to God. Paul would say that's false humility. Again, the only asceticism that the Bible promotes is... Uh, that as God leads you, you fast. And don't do crazy fast. Try to outdo Jesus and do a 41-day fast. Um, uh, Jesus didn't grow up doing this. Okay, He was probably in better shape than you. He could handle a 40-day feast fast. but uh, I could handle a 40-day feast, but not fast. <laughs> but um, um, So... There's times when we say, you know what, I'm so, especially here in America, I'm so focused on my physical needs, let me neglect my physical needs, set them aside, and fast for a day or two and focus on the Word of God and prayer. Okay? Yes, that will get you closer to the Lord. But if you decide um, you're only going to eat, you know, water, you're only going to eat and drink water and uh, moldy bread for the rest of your life, to try to prove how holy you are and you're going to stand there and beat your body daily, that's, that's, not, that's not something that God honors. Now, the demons are into that. I mean, they'll try to get you to jump into a fire or to drown yourself. But, um, but that's, not, that's not from God. Jesus paid the price on the cross for our sins. Now, the other area is we do need to be willing to suffer for Jesus. So it's not my job to go out and say, hey, 
I want to be persecuted. I want to be in prison. I want to be beaten. That's not my job. My job is to say, I want to preach Jesus. And then when the government authorities come and say, you, you, you can't preach Jesus. And you say, well, I got to preach Jesus. I live to preach Jesus. Some of us preach Jesus in different ways, by the way. I love quiet people. So I get a loud guy like me that just preaches loud all the time and stuff like that, man. It's just like, you know, I can't hear what the guy's saying because I'm talking. He can't hear what I'm saying because he's talking. And, um, but in our own way, you got to preach Jesus. And so if the government says you can't preach Jesus anymore, it's just like, hey, I'm going to preach Jesus till the day I die or until he comes back for me. And the government might say, well, you seem like a nice guy, but we're going to have to lock you up. Well, we got to tell them, hey, you got to do what you think you got to do. But I got to do what I got to do. And what I got to do is called preaching Jesus. You know, they tried to get Polycarp, a pupil of the Apostle John, at age 87, they were burning him at the stake and they tried to get him to deny Christ. And he said, how can I deny the one who's been with me and been faithful to me for 87 years and I'm going to turn my back on him? And, um, and they said, well, just say away with the atheist. Because they used to call Christians atheists. Isn't that hard to believe? In ancient times they'd call us atheists. You know why? Because they say that those Christians don't worship any gods. But yes, we do. We worship the triune god. But we didn't bow down before statues. So they identified worshiping a god or gods as bowing before statues. We had no statues we bowed before. And so they called us atheists. So they told Polycarp, tell, tell the people away with the atheists. So he looked at the crowd and he looked at them and they were non-believers. He said, away with the atheists. In other words, away with you. And they burnt him at the stake, age 87. And um, so, uh, you know, we got to be willing to suffer for Jesus um, at the same time. We don't beat our bodies. All the punishment that was needed to be delivered upon a human body to get you into heaven, that's what Jesus bore on the cross of Calvary. Okay? We don't, we're complete in Christ. Okay? So we just trust in Jesus, we died with him, and then we were raised with him to new life or new creations in Christ. So these man-made rules cannot help us spiritually. Okay, Stay away from that false humility of beating the body and rules and regulations. We're complete in Christ. We cannot overcome the sinful desires of the flesh by outwardly obeying rules and regulations. God demands obedience from the heart and the only way we can obey God from the heart is to trust in Jesus for salvation, to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit changes our heart, changes us from within, so then we begin to obey God um, from the heart. So, um, you know, this is why obeying God from the heart, not just outwardly, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 21 through 28, we don't have time to turn there, but um, there, Paul says, you've heard, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, Jesus is saying, I'm going to interpret that passage for you. 
Don't even harbor evil thoughts against somebody. Don't call somebody a fool in your heart. Call them names. You've already broken that command. Okay? What is he saying? He's saying murder starts in the heart. Uh, adultery starts in the heart. Jesus said, you've heard, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if a woman just looks upon, if a man just looks upon a woman and lusts after her in the heart, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Now, now keep in mind, Jesus is not saying sinning in your heart is as bad as outwardly sinning. So if you violate God's command, thou shalt not murder in your heart, you shouldn't say, well, I might as well kill the guy because I already <laughs> broke the command. No, that's worse, okay? But the fact of the matter is you're not perfect, even when you sin in the mind. You know what I call a person who battles sin in the realm of the mind and through the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't allow it to seep out? That's a godly person. Okay? Now, you don't. Now, some people might think they're battling sin in the mind, but they keep doing things, going places and looking at things that just keep those evil thoughts there. No, no, you're still, you're acting out on that. You're not a godly person. Okay? But, you know, a little thought pops up in my head, oh, I want to smack this guy. Okay, I got to rebuke that. I got to shut that down right then and there. Okay? So, the guy who fights thoughts like that in his mind is closer to the Lord than the guy um, who fights his sin outwardly. He says, oh man, that's the third guy I beat up this week. I mean, it's like, uh, so God wants us to obey him from the heart. We can only do that through the power um, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Man-made rules cannot help us um, and uh, asceticism cannot help us spiritually. They're of no value against the temptations and indulgences uh, of the flesh. So we must obey God from the heart, not just outwardly. This is why Paul says, Romans 2, 28 and 29, that true circumcision is of the heart, it's inward. It's not outward circumcision. And our inward circumcision of the heart, that's when the Holy Spirit gives us the new birth. So Paul could say in Philippians 3, 3, that we are of the true circumcision. We put no confidence in the flesh. Okay? So you can't put confidence in yourself. You, you want to look at what you earned? You earned the flames of hell. I earned the flames of hell. And Jesus said, but I can save you. And so you put your confidence in Jesus and in God the Father, and in God the Holy Spirit, you don't put your confidence in the flesh. Let's look at a couple passages here in closing. Um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses three to six. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. So clearly, you are a letter of Christ. 
ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So it makes me pleasing, makes me and you pleasing to God comes from God, doesn't come from us. Verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, the new covenant in Christ, not the old covenant law, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, old covenant, letter of the law, not of the letter, but of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay? So what Paul is telling us is, look, don't fall for the world's false wisdom. We are complete in Christ. Live by the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Obey God's laws from the heart, not outwardly, through the power of the Holy Spirit who gave you a new heart and made you a new creation in Christ. And so true obedience in the Bible... Look at Romans 3. We'll just close with a couple passages here. Romans 3. And verse 31. Paul goes into spends the first three chapters of Romans saying we're all condemned. We all deserve the flames of hell. We cannot save ourselves. Okay? And that we're saved by God's grace alone. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. None of us can earn salvation. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and the true Jesus of the Bible alone. So we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not by the works of the law. But he doesn't want to give us the wrong impression. In verse 31, he closes Romans 3. He says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Okay? So what he's saying is, We don't save ourselves by the law. We're saved through faith in Jesus. But once saved, true saving faith through the power of God enables us for the first time to obey God's laws from the heart. Uh, Paul could say in Romans, so, so how do we obey God's laws? In our own strength? No. That'd be like being under the law. How do we obey God's laws? We obey God's laws from the heart, through what? Through faith in Jesus. Roman and faith in God's word. Romans 13.10. Paul says this. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And look at Mark chapter 12. Mark 12, verse 28, uh, one of the scribes asked Jesus, what's the first commandment of all? What's the most important commandment? And uh, 
Jesus answered in verses 29 to 31. Jesus answered him, the first of all uh, the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You see, what happens is the entire Old Testament has like over 600 commands. Okay? Many of them are ceremonial. They were fulfilled by Christ. But there's still many moral commands. Okay? Uh, but there's lots and lots of commands. Well, the over 600 commands are summed up in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy with the Ten Commandments. Okay? So it's like, wow, I got a really good summary. Now I broke it down to ten. I can handle that rather than over 600. But when you look at the Ten Commandments, the four, first four deal with our relationship with God, and the last six deal with our relationship with our neighbor, with our fellow man. So Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and sums them up in just two. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I agree with those people who say, if you love God with everything you got and you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll go to heaven. I agree with that, but guess what? Apart from trusting in Jesus for salvation and the Holy Spirit giving you the new birth, you can't really love God with everything you got and you can't love your neighbor as yourself. So salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Growing in the Lord, maturing in the Lord, is going to be by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. It's not like, now that I'm saved, now I need to go back under the law to grow. It's like, no. No. You're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. You're going to grow by God's grace through faith in Jesus, through the power of um, of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 6.14, you're no longer uh, under the law, now you're under grace. No longer under the law, now you're under grace. And that gets a big amen, because the law condemns, but grace provides. Okay? At the same time, being under grace means you're actually held to a higher standard. Under the law, I just don't have to, I just don't murder that guy and I think I'm okay. Under grace, I got to stop having bad thoughts about that guy. Okay? And, um, and so, uh, being a person who's living under grace, um, we've got to take on the characteristics of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so in closing, don't fall for the world's false wisdom. We're complete in Christ. Live by the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It's a personal love, trust, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So true obedience equals faith plus love in action. Over and over again, the Bible tells us we fulfill God's law by faith. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. True obedience equals faith plus love in action. True obedience is not saying, okay, here's your laws, God. I'm going to try to obey them in my own strength. 
No. I spent the first 21 years of my life proving that I couldn't do, couldn't do that. And so now I need to, through faith and love, trusting in Jesus with everything I got, loving Jesus with all my heart, loving others as I love myself, true obedience equals faith plus love and action. You want to see what it looks like when it manifests itself? Look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay? And so true obedience equals faith plus love and action. Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It's a personal love-trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So obey God from the heart, not just outwardly. Not those man-made rules and regulations. We cannot add to the work of Christ for salvation. And we cannot add to the work of Christ for sanctification. For us being progressively set apart and growing in the Lord. How did you, if you're saved, how did you get saved? By God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. If you're saved, how are you going to grow in the Lord? By God's grace alone, through faith alone. In the Lord Jesus alone. And it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the letter of the law. So we'll pick it up with Colossians uh, next time together. And so let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, help us, Lord, to stay true to your word and, and recognize that all spiritual wisdom is in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would not fall for the fake news and the false wisdom that our world uh, thrusts at us. I pray that instead that uh, we would trust in the Lord Jesus and his word, not, not just trusting in Jesus for salvation, but also trusting in Jesus uh, to please you. May we walk with Jesus. And have a personal love-trust relationship with Jesus. May we go where Jesus wants us to go. May we think what Jesus wants us to think. May we speak what Jesus wants us to say. May we do what Jesus wants us to do. And so may we view our lives as walking with Jesus. For we know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. May he guide me and empower me through the indwelling Holy Spirit so that I could live my life trusting in Jesus for salvation and trusting in him and his word for guidance for daily living, but also loving you, Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, loving the triune God with all my heart, and loving my neighbor as myself. Help us, Lord, to be people of faith and people of love who trust in Jesus and trust in his word and do not fall prey to the lies of man. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you. Have a great week. Don't forget the Bible studies throughout the week. And uh, it's great to see you. God bless you all.